Good morning, saints of our Lord, and welcome to Thy Strong Word. Thank you for tuning us in this morning on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Brady Finner, and pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Today is Thursday, December the 9th. Happy Advent to everyone as we look forward this Sunday. One of my favorite Sundays of the whole year is the day where we light the rose candle. Some people will wear rose um, through that. I've encouraged my own congregation. I encourage you, listeners, to wear pink this Sunday when you come because it is the candle of joy where we know that we can rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice no matter the circumstance because we have Christ. And today we, in that joyous time, remember and look towards Matthew chapter 2 towards the end. This is the part that we often will hear the story of the Magi. We kind of stop and we move forward, maybe to John the Baptist and Jesus' baptism. But this is some powerful, packed, um, rich theological realities in this text as we look today where we wonder, hmm, he was in Egypt? How did that work? What does it mean that he was called, that he would be called a Nazarene? How does this all fit together? Clearly, we see Christ, and so we enjoy as we have the joy of the Lord, for the gifts are ready, ready for you. A special thanks to our friends from Lutheran Heritage Foundation for your support of Thy Strong Word. Visit lhfmissions.org for more information, lhfmissions.org. Helping us to be strengthened by God's word, we welcome back Pastor Dustin Beck, pastor of Holy Cross Lutheran Church in Warda, Texas. Pastor Beck, welcome back to Thy Strong Word. Good morning, Pastor Fenner, and how are you, sir? I'm good. Happy Advent. Blessed Advent to you as well. Yeah. Yeah, so tell me, we're making it halfway yeah, through, tell, right? tell me what's going on for you, your family, and the saints at Holy Cross. Oh, things are good. Things are good. We're uh, getting ready for the children's Christmas program. We got a lot of kids participating this year. We're um, obviously a couple of weeks into our uh, midweek sermon series, uh, "Then Sings My Soul," looking at the uh, the canticles of Luke's Gospel. Um, just things are going great. The semester is winding down over at Faith Lutheran High School, that's on our campus here. So, uh, right. our our freshman and sophomore Old Testament class um, is sadly drawing to. Uh, well, to the conclusion, at least for this semester, um, they're looking forward to the final and we're working on a big uh, Bible timeline project, a big class project that's going to be on display in the hallway. So, you know, uh, extra prayers for the for the students who are about to be taking tests and finals and everything else would probably be appreciated. <laughs> Absolutely. And what a joy it is. And a reminder to your listeners, not only for um, this high school, but for all high school, Lutheran high schools, Christian high schools that are filling, um, proclaiming the word. And these, these young people are being filled by the word of God and the Holy Spirit is at work. I just think about how how hard it can be to do the Bible timeline. I mean, just even trying to break that down in a 20-minute or hour-long Bible study to adults, how powerful that is for high schoolers to have to break that through and how foundational that can be as well. So any thoughts on that? How How is that going? Just trying to give a broad overview I, for the young people. You know, it's, it's going well. Uh, the one thing I'll say about it is that it does help to kind of untangle uh, some of the portions of the Old Testament where there is some overlap, you know, because it seems like, yeah. um, I mean, uh, several of the prophets, you know, they're they're doing their ministry uh, during some of the things that are going on in the Book of Kings, and so, yeah, um, right. But they don't show up until way later in our old our English Old Testament Bibles, you know. So it's kind of un untangling it so that you've got just a straightforward. Here's 
um, beginning, middle, end of the Old Testament, you know, and it, uh, it, the timeline that we're constructing will end with the birth of Christ. Um, but so you've got, uh, we're, we're highlighting 30 different events uh, that take place from creation to the birth of Jesus. We got 10 students in the class, so everybody's responsible for three events, and they've got to oh, basically great. write up a single page, uh, you know, with a picture, with a title, with an approximate date, if we know it, you know, creation, obviously we don't have a, a, a nailed down hard and fast number for it, but uh, they've got to have kind of a report on uh, what it's about, why it's important, and especially why it's important for Christians. Um, and so that's, it's, it's a good uh, a good task for them to sort of familiarize themselves not just with the events but with the application of uh, why the Bible, even the Old Testament, is still all about Jesus. And you know, somehow, and I'm going to request this not live on air. Somehow, can we <laughs> find a way to have that once you're done with this uh, here on KFUO? I don't know. Sharing yeah. is this shareable? I don't know. Yeah, we'll we'll make it available to you. Yeah, we can take some pictures. <laughs> Sounds good. Things. Sounds good to me. Sounds good to me. Yes, sir. Well, Pastor, as we get the whole picture, we get a narrow focus today on, what is it, uh, 11 verses. And so as we look at Matthew chapter 2, can you ask the Lord's blessings for our time in prayer? Absolutely. Let us pray. Gracious Father in heaven, as you have called forth your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, uh, to be our Savior, uh, so also have you called him forth, your Son, from Egypt, and you have sent him to the place of Nazareth, that he might uh, be called a Nazarene. Uh, we ask, Lord, that you would bless our study this day uh, as we examine uh, under the microscope, uh, the different details of the Christmas story and of all that you have delivered to us through your evangelists. We pray that it would serve to strengthen our faith towards your Son, Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen. Reminders, your listeners, if you have any questions concerning Matthew chapter 2, as I mentioned before, we are going through Matthew from now all the way to Easter. So our goal is to take our time slow down, dig deep, as, as Pastor said, to look at the riches within. If you have any questions at all, send us an email, kfuo at kfuo.org, or call us 314-821-0850, 314-821-0850. Today, we had, a, we had a question a few days ago that we will address after the break today from Ian, who was speaking about the genealogy of Jesus. And I'm going to just kind of give a little wet the palate a little bit, wait for that question. I've sent him back an email, but talking about the genealogy and numbers and seven and what does this mean. And we're going to talk about that a little bit when we get past our break. But Pastor Beck, we are in these 11 verses in chapter two. How do you want to start us with the context and to start us off on the right foot? Yeah, sure. So um, I think that any time that we're looking at uh, one of the texts that deals with Jesus's uh, birth and his early childhood, uh, we need to we need to pause for just a minute. Uh, we need to go back mm -hmm. and we need to sort of untangle um, our two accounts. So we have uh, Matthew's account here in front of us, and then we have also Luke's account. And this is kind of the way that it happens. We all get so familiar with, you know, children's Christmas programs um, and with perhaps, you know, uh, sort of a, a folded over, uh, kind of a combined, conglomerated sort of uh, um Mis mix mash, uh, mishmash text uh, where we have just one narrative that we forget the fact that uh, Luke has very specific things that uh, that he reports on, and then Matthew has certain very specific things that he tells us about. Um, and of course, they're both uh, written under the influence by the power of the Holy Spirit, so we never want to mm -hmm. take away from that. 
But um, I think that it's it's helpful for us to let Luke be Luke and let Matthew be Matthew, right? These are two different witnesses, although obviously neither Luke nor Matthew are eyewitnesses of this, but they've certainly done their homework. They've certainly interviewed. They've certainly, in Matthew's case, he has uh, gone to great lengths to study uh, the Old Testament so that he can pull out these wonderful uh, prophecies for us, these prophecies that help us to understand how Jesus is the fulfillment, right? Um, but we we do well uh, to let Matthew be Matthew and his themes and the things that he's going to uh, bring for us, um, and then let Luke be Luke as well. And so I think I, we got to start off with that. And one of the things that I think is really helpful uh, for us to see in Matthew's gospel um, is how Matthew uh, loves to surprise the audience. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and so it seems like every time that you turn around, um, there are these surprises. Uh, you referenced just a minute ago a question that we have coming up that we're going to be able to answer. Uh, maybe we're going to get into this after the break. But back to the genealogy of Jesus, the fact yeah. that there are women included in mm -hmm. it. Right. That's mm -hmm. not the way that you traditionally, you know, in the ancient world that you would track uh, a person's genealogy. But then all of a sudden these women show up. Right. Um, you have uh, the angel who appears to Joseph and, and Mary is found to be pregnant. You have these uh, just before our text today, you have these foreign uh, magi. Right. These these strange sages uh, or whatever, you know, that come from this foreign land following stars and listening to prophets, I guess, as they've read through, apparently, they understand uh, he was to be king of the Jews. Um, so you have all of these kind of surprising things, that this is not just something that has happened in a backwater village, but instead this is something that the whole world, at least portions, segments of the whole world, are taking notice of. So I think that that at least will give us a good context jumping into it. Obviously, uh, as I just said, the, uh, the immediate context here um, is that Jesus has been born, Right. Uh, the Magi mm -hmm. have shown up at some time in the first couple of years of Jesus's life. Uh, they followed the star. They got their directions uh, from Herod and from his, you know, um, his scribes. Um, and then they've gone to where the place where Jesus is. They found him. They've been warned in a dream to return to their own land by another way. And so they do. And that's where our text starts. Right. Uh, so this kind of gets us into that epiphany and even just the post epiphany uh, kind of timeline. Yeah, we're kind of jumping ahead a little bit according to the season. You know, we're, we're getting into Epiphany, but also how could you not uh, look at the light language that we'll see there that also connects to Advent? I mean, it's it's definitely all within that. Thank you for the context because, Eric, you're right. He does a lot of these surprises that you're not sure, like, whoa, didn't expect that. And he'll say the words like, behold. And this behold is something that, hmm, let me think here. I think that happens today as well that it's a behold yep. language all of a sudden it's like whoa okay now look you know uh, uh uh eyes up chins up let's pay attention to what's happening here because something important is about to happen and this is also what i and, I, and you alluded to this as well it's kind of the part where you don't have these things in the christmas program um <laughs> you know right. these aren't the right. stories that are in there but yet they are very significant to the whole reality of knowing where Jesus was, knowing where he went, but also to keep us uh, keep us grounded on what's important. So anything else you want to uh, say before we begin? 
Yeah. Um, you know, I, I obviously, uh, maybe it's not obvious, but um, it, it should be obvious to you. You know, I, I consulted uh, uh, Dr. Jeff Gibbs's commentary on this, uh, and it was some really wonderful reading to any of our listeners uh, who uh, have in front of them, you know, the Concordia commentary series, the big blue series, right? I would really commend uh, that booklet to them. Uh, it's There's just a, a wealth of information here. Uh, and he talks about how, uh, you know, Matthew is very intentional about the details that he adds in, right? And of course, if you've uh, if you've had Dr. Gibbs for a class or uh, participated in one of his Bible classes, uh, you know that uh, one of the main foils through which he reads and understands and interprets and teaches the uh, Gospel of Matthew is that it is all about the kingdom of heaven, right? And so yeah. what we're going to see unfold in front of us um, are two kingdoms that are sort of vying for supremacy. Of course, Jesus's kingdom comes as a kingdom of peace, a kingdom of, uh, of he comes lowly, right? He comes in the most unassuming way imaginable. And then there's Herod, um, this violent man who comes and he, um, you know, uh, I, I had thought about this when I was typing up notes for uh, for our, our uh, show today, uh, that, you know, in uh, in Matthew 11, when Jesus is talking about John the Baptist, right? Uh, he says, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and behold, the violent take it by force, um, well, I mean, that's what's about to happen in verse 16 through 18, right, is that Herod is about to come and he's about to do some some violence against God's kingdom. Uh, but you and I both know, Pastor Fennern, that God's kingdom is the one that will stand forever, that God's kingdom is the one that will ultimately come out ahead, even if that means that Jesus is going to be betrayed, handed over uh, under another governor, and he's going to be put to death. Um, he still gets the the victory. He still gets the win. This is where, this is why I love you, our listeners, is because I've received emails, and we spoke about that on Monday. Dr. Gibbs was on, and he talks about how this is about the kingdom, and it just pops out everywhere you look in this book. And one of our listeners, Carl, sent me a, a, an email, and he said, you know what? I've done my research here, Pastor, and this is why I'm telling you um, some some of the greatest theologians come on to KFUO, and they, and they respond, and he said, if you look through all of it, that the word king or kingdom appears in all chapters except for Matthew 15 and 28. And so he sent me his homework wow. that he sent. So I, I encourage our listeners, if you've done your homework, send it in and let's talk about it. But it, it's a great reminder that king, kingdom, and today it connects us to see King Herod. And how does that look different than the king of kings, our Lord Jesus? And we definitely see that loud and clear today. So I'm ready to dig in. Are you ready to dig in? Let's go for it. All right, let's begin uh, with uh, Matthew 2, verses 13 through 15. And reminder to our listeners, we'll be reading from the English Standard Version. Now, when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother, and flee to Egypt, and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet out of Egypt. I called my son. Now, there's a, there's a lot to highlight in those very few verses. Uh, but right away, like I said, there's a word behold. So I want to I, I, I want to highlight that at some point, but I want to start uh -huh. with where you want to start. 
No, that's that's just fine. We can we can absolutely start with behold. So uh, yeah, uh, the the Greek word idu right uh, means look or behold. It is a verb of perception, right? So it uh, it does uh, refer to the idea of seeing something. Uh, but yeah, it, it is this kind of almost it's a it, it's a a little particle that is intended to get your attention. Now, when the magi had departed, look, behold. Pay attention. An angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Uh, so there is this um, this constant need to uh, to get your attention, to make sure that you're paying attention, to make sure that you're you're staying with Matthew, right? And doesn't this uh, doesn't this just kind of remind you? of uh, when someone's really excited to tell you something, right? Um, I think of my children whenever, you know, I pick them up from school and they want to tell me about their day and everything like that. And so we talk and they, you know, hey, and and then, and then this, and then that, you know, and just the the excitement in their voice, I think is, is sort of, uh, you can feel the excitement uh, about what Matthew is speaking uh, here uh, to us in his gospel. Is that, is that kind of where you were going with the behold? <laughs> what we've got going on here uh, is this indeed this uh, this idea of pay attention for what is about to happen. Uh, now I love that in Matthew's gospel in the first uh, couple of chapters here you have this very deliberate message that comes from angels. Right? Angels have been uh, the messengers of God uh, at times throughout the Old Testament, and there's there's a definitive difference in the Old Testament between the angel of the Lord, right, referring to uh, in all likelihood very much. Uh, so uh, the pre-incarnate Christ, that he shows up and he's going to be the one uh, who shows up, for instance, to Abraham. He's going to be the one who shows up uh, to uh, to Joshua, right? Um, and, and says, I am the commander of the Lord's army, right? And so uh, you've got this, but I don't think you've got that here because Jesus is no longer pre-incarnate anymore. So now this is just an angel of the Lord. It's not the angel of the Lord. And he's the one that shows up uh, to Joseph to tell him that uh, he shouldn't be afraid to take Mary uh, as his wife for what is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And now he shows up again and, and tells Joseph that he ought to take this child and his mother, uh, flee to Egypt and remain there because Herod is about to do violence. He is about to search for the child to destroy him. So he gets up, he obeys, he listens, he goes uh, to Egypt. And then the part that we really have to tear into, the part that we really have to sort of talk about today um, is this out of Egypt, I have called my son, right? Because that's, it's a little weird, right? Pastor Finner, are you back with us yet? Not Absolutely, yet. I am. Oh, there I, I was you like, are. you know, you why, why, you never am, left. why am I here? Pastor Beck just can take <laughs> over the whole time. So, no, uh, no we were... I don't like listening to myself talk. Go for it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm assuming you addressed Behold. Um, and I, now you're on to uh, that last verse. So, yeah, I'm just going to let you job. keep you running. Been there. <laughs> yeah, I know. It, I bet it was amazing. Our listeners would agree. So, keep going with this. Out of Egypt, I called my son. That's where you were, if I was hearing you correctly? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So yes. that's where Keep we're at. Word. And this is a prophecy, uh, or a, um, this is a callback um, to Hosea chapter 11, verse 1. I know all of our listeners are very, very diligent students of the Old Testament, and so you probably read the book of Hosea just like the other day, <laughs> right? Uh, but in case you didn't read Hosea chapter 11, uh, I mean, the whole book of Hosea is this this messed up situation of of just Israel's unfaithfulness, right? Um, the fact that Israel keeps uh, going out and chasing after other gods, um, and Hosea is the faithful one, um, just as God is the faithful one. It's kind of a picture there. So uh, Hosea 11.1 1 says this, For Israel was a youth, and I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. 
Now, uh, it's interesting that the Septuagint, the, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, actually plur- uh, makes plural, uh, I have called my son, and says I've called my, uh, I have called his children, right? But Matthew, even though the Septuagint is the more commonly used book, uh, the, the translation in Matthew's day, um, he actually reaches back uh, to the Hebrew. He actually reaches back to what uh, would have been um, very likely more accurate, right? And he intentionally uses this phrase, out of Egypt, I called my son. Now, it's always struck me as kind of strange uh, the mm. way that the folks in the New Testament, the way that the apostles um, are able to pull these verses that, you know, if you had asked me to read through the entire book of Hosea and pull out the, you know, the verse that should make it into my gospel about Jesus Christ and his, his life and his death and his resurrection, I don't know that this little snippet out of Egypt, I called my son would have been the one that I would have chosen. Of course, I'm not inspired by the Holy Spirit, at least not as (laughs) as is Matthew, the gospel writer, the evangelist here. Right. And so we got we got to kind of give deference to the fact that this is the way that the apostles very frequently will quote, quote scripture. We kind of look at it and say, I mean, that's that sounds a little out of context because that's not exactly what Hosea is talking about here. Um, But again, uh, we have to let the Holy Spirit speak as he has chosen to speak through the words of the evangelists and the prophets, right? And uh, so I I think that this is actually, it's instructive to us, uh, and and the question uh, that we ought to be asking anytime that we see something that is that is kind of like this. Uh, and we're going to have another one at the end of our text today, right? So you have mm-hmm. out of Egypt, I call my son. And then we have another apparent prophecy, right? That he would be called a Nazarene. Right. Well, I mean, those are, those are kind of out there, weird kind of, you know, how does this point us to Jesus? And so the question that we ought to ask when we come across these um, is how can we understand these uh, to teach us more about Jesus. Uh, so what I want to what I want to kind of unpack for just a couple of minutes, right quick, mm-hmm. um, is this idea. It's it's very common uh, you know, amongst theologians, especially in the you know Lutheran tradition. This idea that Jesus is Israel reduced to one person. Okay, so this is the idea is that um, God has called His people. Right. Uh, it's the, the people who have the faith of Abraham, of Isaac and of Jacob. Jacob's name gets changed to Israel. Right. That he contends with God and God allows him to prevail. Right. Um, and then Israel proves to be faithless. OK. Uh, in our in our uh, Old Testament class over at Faith High School, uh, we're finishing up the book of Judges right now. And if you want to talk about an example of Israel being faithless, um, you just look at the book of Judges. and You see um, all of the terrible things that are going as they continue to kind of spiral and uh, you know circle the drain almost. Um, and so what we have here um, is the concept, the idea that as as the faithful ones in Israel are, are winnowed out, as there are fewer and fewer of them, finally you get down to the point during the intertestamental period where you say, is there even an Israel left, right? And then mm-hmm. Jesus. Jesus shows up, and he is the one whom at his baptism, what will God say? You are my beloved son. With you I am well pleased, right? He is the one uh, who goes to Egypt, who comes forth from Egypt, right, as did Israel all the way back in the at the end of Genesis and in the book of Exodus, uh, they went and they came back out. The problem is they took a little bit too much of Egypt with them. 
Egypt's uh, theology, Egypt's um, idolatry. They took all of that and they never quite got rid of it, right? Even through all of the the, uh, the purification laws and everything in Leviticus, um, they still kept grumbling along the way. And what we kind of find out is that um, God's people, Israel, they can't be holy as he has expected them, as he has demanded that they would be holy. And so we have a holy one, Jesus, who comes as the the one man, he is true Israel, because all the rest of them had failed at being Israel, right? The, the, whole, uh, the whole idea of being Israel is this. God says to them in Exodus, I will be your God and you will be my people. Therefore, you shall be holy as I, the Lord your God, am holy. Jesus does that. Jesus is the good Israel. Jesus comes uh, and he is the one who goes uh, to be that son of God um, that the rest of us, through his through faith in his death, his resurrection, his his life forever, that we might also be numbered among the children of God. I talked way too much there. Uh, feel I free to it. chime in. <laughs> oh, I love it. And I'm here, actually. So it's not just I got offline again somehow. But right. <laughs> this is really helpful. And I think another important interpretive key as we go through the whole Gospel of Matthew, and I think all of Scripture as well, but it's so, um, it's so explicit here as it shows us that out of Egypt, I called my son. Like you said, it's a weird, it's a weird interpretive key of a, of a passage, but like you said, it's a Holy Spirit, not us. But to see it as Jesus is Israel, if I can say it that way, is that a good way to say it? Jesus is the not new Israel. We don't want to say it that way. Well, you say, you said Israel reduced to one. Is there a way to say that that has Jesus more at the center language? What do you think? Right. I, I mean, I think that it's fair to say that Jesus is the tender shoot that comes up from the stump of Jesse's go. tree, right? That, I mean, <laughs> David himself is from Jesse's tree, um, and David is is knocked down by his own, you know, infidelities and his own uh, his own sin. You know, Solomon, the the wisest guy that ever lives, you know, is knocked down by his own indiscretions and his own idolatries, right? So all of Israel kind of kind of has this great potential that's been given to them by the promises of God, and each and every time uh, they prove faithless when push actually comes to shove. But in, uh, in Isaiah 11, he promises that there will be this tender shoot that will come up from the stump of Jesse. And I think that that's uh, well, I don't, I don't think. I mean, I, I believe, teach, and confess. That's Jesus. That that's is Jesus, Jesus springing mm-hmm. forth, and there is a new tree that comes up from that on that old uh, stump that had been cut off by means of sin and by, uh, by reason of, of doubt and unbelief. Jesus is the, the, the newer Israel, the renewed Israel. Right? He is go. perfect Israel uh, in flesh for us. And then from him, you know, uh, to, to stick with the— um, the tree language here and the tree metaphor, right? Paul even talks about this uh, being grafted in, right? That's how Israelites will be added back into the tree and even how the Gentiles, how you and and myself will be added into the the tree of God's planting um, is that there's room. There's plenty of room for us by faith to receive this gracious planting and this grafting in uh, to be part of God's people uh, here and now, even 2000 years later. So does that kind of help? It, it absolutely. So I'll say it this way: Jesus, the perfect Israel. Yeah, that's what I got from that. What do you think? I love it. I love it. All right, it. yeah, it's good stuff. Now Print I'm going to say this before. <laughs> yeah, right. Let's put a patent on this thing. Is uh, is we look at this, and this is very important as we look through the rest, especially when we get to Matthew four, which will be on Monday. 
because Matthew right. 4, Jesus goes out in the wilderness. Guess who else did? Blah, 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 blah. And the question then is, it's like, okay, he went to Egypt, just like Israel. Now, how is he going to be compared to the Israelites? And there's so many connections that are there. But we're in chapter 2, and right now we need to take our break. We are studying Matthew chapter 2 with Pastor Dustin Beck, and we'll be right back. These are the voices of young Lutherans in Mexico City, children who are excited to learn more about their Savior, Jesus. But they need our help, because good Lutheran books for kids in the Spanish language are in short supply in Mexico. To learn how you can help tell Spanish-speaking kids everywhere about Jesus in a language they can understand, go to the Lutheran Heritage Foundation website at lhfmissions.org forward slash Juan 316. Welcome back. We are studying Matthew chapter 2 with Pastor Dustin Beck, and I wanted to address a question that we received from Ian. And Ian asked a question about the genealogy, and it isn't quite what Pastor Beck um, brought up before, but there is some uniqueness to this um, to this genealogy, obviously including women. There's also that wonderful part at the end that Pastor Jason Shockman brought up about how, it, you know, verse 16, it says, you know, Jacob, the father of Joseph, basically beget the husband of Mary, and then it, it turns passive. It goes from no longer begetting to Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. So Mary has a prominent role in this genealogy, which shouldn't be surprising, but it's there. We talked about numbers, 14 and 14, 6, 7. We did all these kind of fun things. And then Ian asked a question about how he had heard from a um, from a paper by a non-denominational preacher that talked about the number seven being part of the numerology, about the multiples of seven and the names and the letters and the um, numbers and so forth. And so we read this. I talked to Dr. Gibbs. I talked to other theologians. And one of the things we have to be careful about, and Pastor Beck, I want to hear your thoughts, because he definitely was digging into it, the critical editions of the New Testament, looking at the number seven and and trying to maybe find a little bit of a hidden meaning behind the text, if I can say it that way. And we really want to be careful that when we look at numbers, that we don't try to dig in too much. For example, um, in John, when 153 big fish were caught, that just means there were 153 big fish. And so we don't want to dig too much into it and try to do multiples. At the same time, you have something like Revelation where some, a lot of times we have to because the, the idea, the, um, the numerology is there that we have to be faithful with and to look at and see those connections. But we don't want to go away from the plain meaning of the text, that there might mm -hmm. be something there that makes us interested, like, hmm, that's interesting but not to make that the point of the text and to look at it just faithfully for what it truly is in, in the center, and obviously Christ at the center as well. So my advice and my thoughts uh, from Dr. Gibbs and a few other people is you can look at that, and I, think it's, I don't think it's, it's unfaithful to look at that, but when we make that the hidden meaning behind the text almost, then we're going a little too far into what, uh, um, how we, how far we want to go. Because then ultimately, a lot of times you lose Jesus, or we lose the main point of the text. Any thoughts you have, Pastor Beck? 
Yeah, I, I think I would just echo uh, that last part that you just uh, that you just emphasized, uh, and that is to say, um, you know, what is the ultimate purpose of this? Is this to to bolster and to strengthen our faith, um, or is it to lose the forest for the sake of the trees? Right. Um, mm-hmm. We don't want to talk about the the genealogies um, in terms of you know. Well, I mean, if if the genealogies are found to be, you know, if we look at this and it's, you know, 14, um, 14 generations between each uh, section, right? And we look back and we find that, uh, well, maybe not everyone is being covered in this uh, or, or, or something along those lines. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Don't allow your, your, your faith to be deconstructed by something like that, right? Uh, because, I mean, while this is a genealogy of Jesus Christ, which you would expect at the beginning of someone's biography, somebody's, you know, this gospel account that tells us uh, his origin going all the way back to Abraham, right? Um, When we look at that, uh, we don't want to look at it in a critical way, that is to say that um, it would be sort of leveraged against uh, the rest of Scripture um, and and thereby to undo our faith. But instead, you know, Matthew is is writing again, uh, he's writing to tie Jesus to the faith of Abraham, to the throne of David, uh, and he's writing this uh, so that we can look at it and we can see that Jesus is the fulfillment of both, right? So that's that's kind of where I go with it. Um, I, I mean, I, I think that, again, you can read into kind of seven being this godly number of perfection. And so, you know, I mean, maybe this almost even kind of takes us into the place where we hear uh, in uh, in Galatians, you know, at the fullness of time, God sent forth his son. Uh, so you've got 14 generations, 14 generations, 14 generations. I mean, maybe that's just Matthew's way of confessing to us here. It is the fullness of time. It's it's the exact right time when when Jesus ought to be here, right? Um, yeah, I I don't often. I mean, when I'm studying Revelation, when I'm looking at Daniel, when I'm talking about, uh, you know, uh, sort of the <laughs> the end times kind of prophecies. Yeah, we we can let our imaginations run a little bit as long as they point us back to Jesus um, right, in terms right. of the numerology, in terms of the things that are going on. Uh, but when every number has some sort of hidden significance to it, I think that 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 more or less distracts us uh, from the importance of what Jesus has done. And so I would I would caution against that a little bit um, of of thought, a little bit of of. Um, of exploring that kind of a thing, not a problem. Uh, but when that becomes the kind of silver bullet, when that becomes the, the answer to every single thing, you know, well, you know, this number divided by, I, I don't buy into much of that. So maybe that helps out our our listener. I think so. And Ian, keep, keep digging in the word. Thank you for your faithfulness and keep, keep digging deep. I remember one time Dr. Bartelt at a conference when I was in Vicarage in Kansas, he, he, he spoke about, cause you know, he's a, he's a Hebrew scholar and he went through, I think it was Isaiah 53. And he, he spoke about some of the syllables, you know, there's this many syllables here and this many syllables there. I was confused after about two seconds, but he went through it all and he wrote down what they were. And then he said, okay, I better erase this in case somebody's trying to say that I'm trying to prove inerrancy of scripture based on this. However, he said, it is good for us to dig this deep into scripture because from there, we know the Holy Spirit will point us back to Christ. It was a beautiful way yes. for us to think and a beautiful way that um, for us to look as well. So keep, keep digging in, uh, uh, Ian, and keep doing your homework, everybody, because we are seeing Christ. And I think about this, too. 
and this relates, is that we dig into it, but we get too far into it. It's kind of like seeing Israel as our hope, you know, the land, or we're seeing hope in the people that, boy, do we get lost. And that's what's a beautiful transition that we have here is that he's like, out of Egypt, I called my son. And in the past, it was Israel. My goodness, did they fail. You know, the you can't even pay attention to the, the genealogies very well because you're like, well, he's missing a few. He's missing a few there, missing a few here. But now we see the perfect Israel is what we see throughout this text. And also, um, I just want to emphasize this once again, is that there's a divine intervention into this. They left because an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph and said he had to leave. Joseph didn't have this like great wisdom to make sure this right. happened. Uh, the Magi needed it. Joseph needed it. So he didn't divorce his wife quietly. And he needed it again here. And they left and went to Egypt. I bet that whole way. Can you imagine this, Pastor? That whole way, she's like, why are we going to Egypt? You're taking the wrong <laughs> way. You're not even going the right direction. What are we doing? And he's probably wondering himself. But they knew that they had to trust the Lord. Any thoughts before yeah. we move on to the next few verses? Yeah, just that, uh, like you said, God and His angels are absolutely watching out for Jesus every step of the way. You know, through here. I mean, the um, the way that the the magi that come from the east. You know, the the fact that the star shows back up. Mm-hmm. After Herod and his scribes tell him where to go, the star shows back up, you know, almost like a, a neon sign or an arrow saying, no, it's over over here. Right. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's just it's it's amazing uh, to see that um, that God acts in those kinds of ways um, in this time period for those reasons. Um, and it's all ultimately, as we've been talking about ever since we came back from the break, it's all about Jesus. Right. And so that's kind of what springs us forward in the next section of the text here. And as we look at this text, another filter for us to look at this is that since the kingdom is the focus of Matthew, yeah. um, one of the fo- foci, I should say, here you look at the king. You have Jesus, the king of kings, that we're learning about slowly in Matthew. And then we see how another king operates, verses 16 through 18. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious, and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. This is one of the more somber parts, I would say, almost of all of Matthew, because you hear of, okay, all right, Jesus was saved, but then you grieve in the brokenness that then came, and we see the evil that 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 uh, of the power that Herod desired. Pastor, where do you want to begin in this well tragic part of Scripture? Right. So, I mean, I think a a place to begin with this uh, is. Uh, to begin with, Herod, you know the uh, the evil king here. Um, he's referred to, in, you know, in history as as Herod the Great. He's the guy who has uh, built this uh, Herod's temple. Uh, you know, that will be the temple that Jesus visits uh, once he's well. I mean, for his circumcision, but then also uh, once he is uh, once he is an, an adult. Um, but Herod is this man who. You know, he grabs after power and he can't seem to hang on to it. Um, he's so. Um, so, uh, 
you know, uh, he lacks confidence in terms of uh, what even has been given to him. Of course, they're under the Roman rule at this time, so he's really just a figurehead king as it is. Uh, but he does uh, go out and he uh, does fear for his throne. And so he has uh, these male children, two years old and under, uh, put to death. Now, um, this is uh, one of the one of the days of the church year uh, is set aside to commemorate um, this this terrible event, right? Um, and in a lot of ways, uh, people look at the uh, the children in Bethlehem, the male children, um, as being the first uh, first martyrs, um, you know, in in the timeline of Jesus, right? People who uh, their lives were taken uh, for the sake of the kingdom of God coming into the world, for the sake of Jesus um, and the important mission that He is here to accomplish salvation for mankind. Um, and I've always always found it really interesting because you have um, you've got Christmas, of course, on December the twenty fifth, uh, right? Uh, as as we all know, and as we're all planning, and I'm sure you've already got your sermon written and everything else. Uh, but then <laughs> the twenty sixth, twenty seventh, and the twenty eighth. Yes, yes, Lord have mercy, indeed, and He does. The twenty sixth, the twenty seventh, and the twenty eighth um, are set aside. Um, uh, they're set aside for these these martyrs. Right. And so the 26th, I believe I've got this right. I'm kind of reciting from memory here. The 26th, you have St. Stephen, right, Um, who is martyred on Acts. Right. Uh, And so he is uh, martyred both according to his will. uh, You know, he speaks uh, the word of God um, and then he is killed for it, uh, you know, and and in action. And then after that, you have St. John the Evangelist, right? Uh, St. John, uh, son of Zebedee, uh, and he is a martyr um, in will, but not in act, right? And mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. he is willing to die for Jesus. Uh, but remember at the end of his gospel, right? Uh, whenever Peter's like, what about him? And he points to John and Jesus says, you know, if he's, if he's going to stick around until I come back, so be it. What business is it of yours? Right? So you got John there and then you have the, <laughs> and of course, John wasn't martyred. You know, he, he died of, mm-hmm. of old age, right? The only of the apostles. And then on the third day, you have December the 28th, uh, this, uh, the, the day of uh, the commemoration of the Holy Innocence um, that, right. that highlights these couple of verses from Matthew chapter 2. Um, and they're the ones who were uh, martyrs according to the act, but not according to their will. Right. So these are not necessarily, I mean, they're, they're circumcised very likely because they're, you know, young Jewish children young Jewish boys. And so they're a part of the covenant kingdom, the covenant people of God. Um, and yet it's not like they grew up and they were the children who were waving palm branches on Palm Sunday or something like that. And I think that the church's positioning of these three, uh, these three commemorations right after Christmas uh, serves as kind of that cool splash of water that reminds us of the fact that, you know, Jesus came to be Emmanuel, God with us so that he could die. And the same is true for many of the people who follow in his uh, follow in his train um, is that there also are crosses waiting for us. uh, But nevertheless, um, that's what his kingdom looks like right now um, is a cross and then one day an empty tomb. Does that kind of make sense? It does make (laughs) sense. And that and it is a very difficult uh, reality of Scripture. that We see the shedding of blood. And it's just it's just awful, which points us once again to the shedding of blood of our Lord. And I, and I and I yeah. think that makes it very. It doesn't make it any more of a, a 
less somber or very difficult yeah. part. But at the same time, it does show that God, you know, had a plan and his plan was being fulfilled. And with this, and this is not trying to diminish it, but, you know, Bethlehem wasn't very big. Um, Dr. Gibbs speaks about, and I've read other ones that say this could have been anywhere from like 12 to 20 young boys. Um, and and no, no, obviously that's tragic. I'm not trying to d- right. dismiss that by any means. But it is definitely something that that brings us to our knees. We see the shedding of blood, and even more so, we see the theology of the cross, I think, at play, kind of a precursor to this, of of this is the broken world, and even more so, that Jesus didn't say, oh, good, I, I didn't, didn't have that happen to me. No, he's the one who willingly went to the similar demise of these people, of these young boys, um, for the sake of the world. And Herod used right. his power to destroy, um, to seek and destroy. I mean, this is how Jesus speaks. And, and Jesus used his power to, to save those and give hope to those who grieve those young boys. So, and any I, think, other, any I think that's the part that we have to really cling to there is that these children are being murdered, um, but Jesus will die for their sins, right? Mm-hmm. And so there, you have that, that kind of overlapping period uh, where Jesus has been born, but he hasn't yet gone to the cross. What about the faithful people who die during that time? You know, what about the people um, who look for the promise, who trust in Jesus as Savior? Are their sins forgiven? Yes, absolutely they are. And we would uh, add to that um, these uh, these uh, these young boys, right, uh, who have been killed even before they've been able to hear the word of the Lord uh, fulfilled in Jesus, even before they've been brought to the waters of holy baptism, because, you know, Jesus hasn't instituted it just yet, right? But nevertheless, they are part of that old covenant promise that looks towards the coming of the Messiah. They are part of God's people. And so we do find some comfort in that, um, that Jesus will um, avenge, not avenge, but he will um, he will speak a better word uh, over them through his suffering on the cross, through his death, through his resurrection. And that is uh, for each and every martyr of, uh, of the Christian faith um, that Jesus goes uh, to. Well, to make things right, he goes to atone for them. There's the word, not avenge. And, and yeah, right. As the perfect Israel, obviously doing what we could not do. So exactly. one thing that's unique in this one is we have kind of this questionable Hosea, you know, like, ah, how does that fit into this? But I do think the Jeremiah quote in verse 18 definitely relates beautifully because in Jeremiah 31, verse 15, right. it is speaking about Rachel and Ramah, which is just north of, of Jerusalem. Okay, um, okay, and we're back. Oh, wonderful technical difficulties. <laughs> All right, I was on Pastor a roll, Finn. too. I apologize. I know, you I... were making great points, and it just completely yeah. cut out. Where did I drop right, out? So we're t- yeah, we're talking about Jeremiah 31. We're talking about yeah. uh, the fact that Rama, uh, Rachel, is the one who's weeping up there. Yeah. Of course, Rachel yeah. uh, dies in childbirth, uh, and she's buried up in Rama. But in Jeremiah, I think she's, you know, uh, Jeremiah says that she's weeping, and what's going on in Jeremiah 31, right? That yeah, was right. Where I lost you, I think. <laughs> yeah, right. That's why. Yeah, well, I was, I was still going. But anyway, so yeah, Jeremiah thirty-one says there's always hope in the midst of these things. Right. That there's always hope that we do. We grieve. They grieve, but we grieve as ones with hope, and that's what the Lord is kind of leading them to. Is this happened? Yes, but there is hope, and and uh, to admit the grief, but also to show that there would be hope, and we see that today. Any any last thoughts on that? 
Yeah, on that section, uh, I find it interesting, and uh, Dr. Gibbs makes this point in his commentary, uh, in verse 17, when it says, then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. Um, he, he gets into a little bit of the technical Greek here, um, and he makes the comment that this is not a purpose clause, okay? Um, this is not like this was in order to fulfill what Yahweh, what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. It just says, then was fulfilled. There are only two times in Matthew's gospel that we have this distinction, because it, it seems like every time that he's going to quote uh, a prophet, he says, this was in order to fulfill what the Lord had spoken. Okay, So it has God's purpose, God's promise, God's plan behind it. Out of Egypt I have called my son. But here, and also uh, when, uh, when Judas betrays Jesus, for the 30 pieces of silver, uh, the, it doesn't go, this was in order to fulfill. This was with the result. This was with the purpose to fulfill what God had spoken. It just says, then was fulfilled what uh, was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. So it's, it's a minor dis, uh, distinction for us, but I think it is a distinction, right, to say that this did not happen necessarily according to God's plan. It wasn't God's will uh, that these male children would be uh, murdered, but instead it happened and it did fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah, which does point us to the fact that there is that hope, even in the midst of, of unspeakable tragedies like these children being killed uh, or like Israel being carried off into Babylon for a generation. Right. So I, I thought that was an interesting little point that he makes in his commentary. It, it, oh, it's a wonderful distinction that he makes. Yeah, because they were there. There was no hope. I mean, they they you know the temple's destroyed. They are in Babylon. There's nothing left. And here he makes that point that there is hope, and that really is another theme that we see throughout Matthew. So, Pastor, let's keep moving forward here. I'm going to read right. the rest of our time. We have about six minutes left, and Ooh. we'll get to that kind of unique uh, part, uh, Nazarene. So, um, okay, verse 19. But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Rise, take the child and his mother, and go into the land of Israel, for those who sought the child's life are dead. And he rose and took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there, and being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. And he went and lived in the city called Nazareth, that was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled. He should be called a Nazarene. Now, before we get to that last part, which we could probably spend an hour on trying to explain it, tell right. us the story a little bit. What's happening here? Yeah, so basically, uh, as the text says, uh, Herod the Great dies, um, and then again, an angel of the Lord shows up in a dream to Joseph. Uh, it's interesting that the angel always seems to show up to Joseph in dreams, right? That's a little detail right. that uh, Matthew includes for us. Um, and then the angel says to go back to the land of Israel, and it sounds like he would have gone to uh, to Judea. It sounds like he would have gone uh, sort of back to the uh, the historic birthplace of, of their tribe, right? The, uh, the place where the uh, the Judahites uh, were from the place where the house of David was established, you know, at Bethlehem, and then later in Jerusalem. Uh, but instead, he hears that um, that Archelaus, Herod's son, right, is is leading in that area, and so he decides in another dream he's warned again, and so he goes up to Galilee. He goes up to the northern country, uh, right, that's going to be kind of disdained uh, by the Jews uh, because it's the place where the Samaritans live. It's the place where the the barely even still God's people, people are going to reside. So that's that's kind of the background on this last little section. 
And it, yeah, it, it is interesting because there's, you know, what's the time range of this? How long is he in Egypt? I, I, I looked the number of places and never really got a good answer. It doesn't appear to be terribly long by no, any stretch. I don't think so. And well, like you said, there's another behold moment, divine interventions needed in order to know where to go. They find out Archelaus, probably not much better than his dad. I didn't research much of that, but they ended up back in Nazareth um, for another fulfillment. So we have about three minutes left here, Pastor. We could figure this out in three minutes. Um, <laughs> sure enough, it's yeah. quite interesting because there is no direct reference, if I read correctly, to he should be called the Nazarene, but there might be more of a, a summary or a thought process with that. What'd you find? Yeah. Oh, my goodness. This is uh, like you said, we could spend an entire show talking about this because the Old Testament doesn't actually talk about the town of Nazareth. Right. I mean, it just right. doesn't show up in the Old Testament. <laughs> and so when the prophets are saying this, I mean, I've, I've looked at several different Bibles and none of them, you know how when you can look at the little footnotes and it'll kind of tell you, oh, this refers back to, you know, mm. back to uh, back to Hosea 11. This refers back to, you know, uh, Jeremiah 31. You know, we don't get that here. Um, and so some uh, some people have have suggested that this is perhaps um, a reference. This he shall be called a Nazarene. It's kind of like the out of Egypt I've called my son, uh, where you know he shall be called a Nazarene. Maybe that refers back to uh, well, I was just in the book of Judges with my Old Testament class, the Nazarite vow uh, that was taken, you know, by Samson's parents on his behalf, right? Um, but I don't think that that really fits. It doesn't make all that much mm -hmm. of a connection there. Um, the best that I could come, and I, I, I poured over this for, for about an hour, uh, so it's yeah. not exhaustive, but the best that I could come away with this from is that when Jesus is born, Nazareth is this backwater place. Yeah. Okay. It is this, you know, uh, I mean, when, when, uh, when Jesus shows up, you know, and he's uh, in John chapter one, you know, can anything good come from Nazareth? Yep. That apparently yep. wasn't just <laughs> Philip and Nathaniel, right? But that's, that's everybody says he's going to come from where? Right. Um, and that is part of the surprising narrative of Matthew's gospel is that he's not going to reside in a king's hall. He's not going to be in Jerusalem in the in the uh, in the palace. Um, he's not even going to be in the king's town in David's you know, town of, of Bethlehem. But instead, he's going to be in the least likely place that you would have ever imagined him to have been. That's where Jesus is going to come from. His kingdom comes from from humble roots. Uh, and yet he is going to be the one who comes uh, to usher in not just the kingdom of this world or a great kingdom of David or anything like that, but the kingdom of heaven itself. It comes from where we wouldn't expect to look for it, but instead it comes from where God wills it. Um, and then ultimately when he goes and he does battle with Jerusalem, it seems like Jerusalem wins when Pontius Pilate puts him to death, but then he's going to rise again on Easter Sunday and he's going to, well, he's going to, he's going to uh, walk away from it with the wind then. So I think that's the best we can do with the amount of time that we've got as far as Nazareth goes. <laughs> Pastor, uh, 30 seconds. How would you summarize these verses we studied today? Right. So the hand of God is upon this entire situation as he speaks to Joseph through angels, um, as he uh, as he takes Jesus to go and to be in Egypt, as he uh, protects Jesus from Herod and his evil reign of terror. And then he brings him back so that he can grow up in, in strength and in wisdom and in knowledge. Um, God is with Jesus. He is Emmanuel. Uh, God is with us in Jesus. And ultimately, he is the one who is coming to defeat all of the ways of violence and of upheaval, all of the kingdoms of this world that would establish themselves against him. He's coming to be the Prince of Peace for you and for me. 
Pastor Dustin Beck of Holy Cross Lutheran Church in Warda, Texas, given us God's strong word from Matthew chapter 2. Pastor Beck, thank you for the gifts. Yes, sir. Saints of our Lord, he said it well. The peace is coming for me and for you, and we have it in Christ. Jesus, the new Israel, not only new, actually more the perfect one for you. I'm your host, Brady Finner, and pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Thank you for joining us, and the Lord keep you safe in all of his hands.